You know, I grew up in Cottachill. I was there since the time I was age five and ended up being on staff there, saved there, the whole bit. And uh, I see so many faces. When we sang Amazing Grace, I looked out and I saw so many faces that played a role in my life through God's amazing grace. And, uh, and so many of you that poured into me and did different things for me along the way. And I thank you for that. And uh, so I've got that out of the way. So you know who you are. And uh, I'm so, so grateful for it. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to a couple of scriptures we're going to look at today. One is Luke chapter 7. Another one's going to be Mark chapter 6. And then lastly, which is where we're going to really sink in, is Hebrew chapter 11. So Luke 7, Mark 6, Hebrews 11. It took Brother Fred 16 years to let, him preach, let me preach for him. So uh, if it takes me another 16, I feel like I've got to give you the whole wagon today. And uh, he'll be 89 by the next time I get to preach. So y'all enjoy it while you, while the, uh, hopefully you'll get something out of it. Have you ever thought about, is there anything that amazes God? I mean... He's before there is creation. He's seen everything that's imaginable to man, that's imaginable to, to anything. I mean, he is, has seen it all. You think on Monday, tomorrow night, when Auburn plays, he says, wow, I'm amazed at that Cam Newton. I mean, he's seen the greatest athletes throughout time. Does he look and see a church building and say, wow, look at that church building. Does he look at your bank account and say, Gabriel, wow, that guy's loaded. Or, wow, look how broke he is. What amazes Jesus Christ? Have you ever thought about it? And is there a way that we can amaze him? In 2011, can you amaze God? Now, we see in Scripture a lot of places where people are amazed by what Christ did in their life. But there's only two places that we see in the entirety of God's Word where we see Jesus, our God, who's amazed about something. Two times. And that's what we're going to look at. Because I believe if we can learn how these people amaze God, then we have a shot at amazing Him in 2011. Luke 4.18 definitely has an opportunity of amazing Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be something where God said, Wow, look at so-and-so. Wow, look at Luke 4.18. I'm amazed by them. Well, here's the first one in Luke chapter 7. It's a story most of us probably know. The centurion was the uh, uh, servant. guy who worked for him had gotten really sick, was about to die. And they... And, and he sent word to Jesus to say, can you come and heal my servant? And so Jesus is on his way to meet the centurion, to, to, to pray over this servant so the servant can be healed. And they encounter one another along the highway. And it tells us, we'll pick it up in, gosh, we can pick it up anywhere. We'll look, let's start at verse 6. Then Jesus went to them, and when he had already was not already far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying, 
Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I do not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And check this out, verse 9. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled. Other translations say he was amazed at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And then by the time the guys got home, the servants healed. Isn't that amazing? This guy amazed Jesus. One of only two times we see it. Now, y'all tell me. Let's make sure we get the basic. What was so amazing to Jesus? His, his faith. He understood the authority. And this is the key. Of, you'll see why this is key in a moment. He understood the authority of Jesus Christ. And he said, just as I have authority, you have authority, and you have the capability of healing my servant. But you can speak the word, and it will be done. Jesus listens. He says, that's amazing. He says he was amazed. He was marveled by this man's faith. It's the first time we see it. Second time is over in Mark chapter 6. Flip over there to your left. Mark 6, 5 and 6. Actually, it starts with, with 5. It's the story of Jesus being in Nazareth, his hometown. He's done some miracles, but in minimal fashion. In verse 5, chapter 6, verse 5, Now he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. Don't you love that? He couldn't do anything major, but he did heal a few people. Puts things in perspective, doesn't it? In verse 6, and he was amazed, or he marveled, because of their unbelief. Second time we see something that amazes Jesus. The first one, the guy's faith. Jesus, you have authority. Jesus, you can speak the word, and my servant can be healed. Jesus is amazed by that. Second time, he's in Nazareth. Lays hands on people, they get healed, but he was limited. He couldn't do but so much because of the people's unbelief in Nazareth. Can you imagine that that would amaze Jesus? I'm not so sure why. I think it might be because it's something that we all probably do all the time in that we see God work in our life. We've seen Him work in our past, but we get into a new situation and we don't believe God can do what God can do. And I wonder if God's amazed by saying, look at all that I have done in your life, and now you question if I can do that. So you see, we got two opportunities in 2011 to amaze Jesus. Either we will amaze him by our belief that he has authority and he can operate in our life by speaking a word. That will amaze Jesus. Or he will be amazed by us when we don't believe 
He can do and be who he says he is and who he's been in our life. That will amaze Jesus. It's the only two times we see it in Scripture. So this morning I ask you point blank. Are you living a life today that's amazing to Jesus? In a good way or in a bad way? Are you amazing Jesus because of your faith? Or are you amazing Jesus because of your lack of faith? It's a good question. Now, is faith really important? That's kind of the real question we have is, if, is faith all that important? Well, let me lay a foundation for a moment. What's the most important aim of your life? What's the most important aspect of this church? You as an individual, you as a family. If you can summarize your life and say, Ma, I was created for this, what would it be? And I bet you some of you maybe in your mind said, to fulfill my role, my job, to be a great daddy, to be a grandfather, to be whatever it may be. Is that the reason you're created? No, we're created, and we know this. We're created, why? In order to please God, right? Isn't that right? We're created, period, to please Him. Doesn't matter what we do, how we do it. Occupation, how much money, lack of money, education, lack of education. None of that matters. It comes down to, am I pleasing God today? He's created me to please Him. Right? Now look at Hebrews eleven six with me. And this is where we're going to really spring off of this. Because you'll see why faith is so, so important. Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Now you see why we have to have amazing faith? Of authentic, real faith? The only way to please God, which is our aim for 2011. Would everybody agree with that? Yes? Is that our aim? Is the aim of Luke 4.18 to please God? There's only one way to do it, according to God's word, and that is what? Faith. It says, get that. Now, let this resonate in your heart. It is impossible. You can't do it. There's no way to do it apart from faith. It is impossible to please God without faith. Can't do it. It's absolutely impossible. You know, I want to share a story with you. When I came out of Cottachill, of course, if, having gone there from the age of five, that's the only church I really ever knew. And I went off and at 19, I went on a mission trip. Some of y'all helped me on. Got to go to Moscow, which was the Soviet Union at the time. And I was 19 years old. I come back. I go through college. I'm in the ministry, God's called me in the ministry, I'm moving forward, and at 23, uh, at, at 22, I go to Australia for the summer on a mission trip, at 23, I come back, and I become the student minister with Steve Reimer there of college students. So here I am, hadn't even finished college, and I'm ministering to college students. 
And I had a bunch of them say, well, I wish I could go on a mission trip. And me and my own, I, I can't imagine I would do that today. I, I said, well, okay, well, let's go. So at 23, I take a bunch of, I find 10 students crazy enough and parents ignorant enough, and some of y'all are sitting here today, to go with me over to Romania where the walls of communism had just fallen to spend, to spend several weeks. I was 23 years old. We go and we have an amazing time. The next summer I did the same thing and things began to grow. And next thing you know, I'm preaching these crusades over in Eastern Europe and, and God's moving all the time. And I mean, I can't explain what God is doing. And I go to seminary. And while I'm at seminary, it's the same thing. And, 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 and it's my vision and my understanding of success in church life was growing the biggest church, going and being able to preach, being able to see hundreds if not thousands of people come to know the Lord. Being able to do all of these things. That was my understanding of success. It's all I had ever known. And as I started as a young adult, everything I did was successful. And then I go to North Carolina to seminary and I take over a small little church. And in my mind... We're going to be the next Cottachill in Raleigh, North Carolina. We're going to go from 100 people to 8,000 in six months. Instead, we lost 100 the first year and gained 120 and kept growing some, but it ended up being a church where they couldn't decide if they believed in the virgin birth of Mary, of Jesus. If this is truly God's word, I mean, the place was chaotic. And I didn't know this blindly going in. I thought everybody believed like people at Cottage Hill. And when I get there, next thing I know, I'm in the middle of an absolute mess. And it was hellacious for nine years. And I kept trying to leave, and Brother Fred would say, Well, I've turned your name over here. We've got to get you out of there. I've turned your name over here. And nobody wanted me. And I was stuck. In a place for nine years that I absolutely wanted out. And it was a horrendous experience because my definition of success was growing this massive church. Not being faithful to where God's placed me. See the difference? In the meantime, my brother, some of y'all, maybe five or six of your Alabama fans. And my brother does radio for Alabama. Well... He's been in the NFL for 18 years now. He's with the Eagles currently. He used to be the general manager of the Browns. He, in the meantime, in his career path, he was skyrocketing. And so here it is. I'm struggling in this church that I couldn't, that Fred Wolf couldn't get me out of. And in the meantime, my brother is climbing the NFL ladder of success. First off, he becomes the youngest coach in the NFL. Then he becomes the youngest director in the NFL. Then he becomes the youngest general manager in the NFL. And it's just me and him. We're twins. We're born four years apart. It's amazing. <laughs> By my mom, and people get us confused all the time. It's crazy. And we're four years apart. And so here we are, and we love each other. It's just the two of us, and, and I support him in every kind of way. Well, finally... A small little church restart in Mulberry, Florida called and asked me to be their pastor. Did I ever been to Mulberry vacation, Florida? One? Why? 
Mulberry, the phosphate capital of the world. It's the ugliest place in Florida. It's phosphate hills all over the place. And God called me to this little church called Turning Point Church on Bailey Road in Mulberry, Florida. Well, we went, well, I went literally, you had to walk across beat up, broken up cement to get into the building. They had a building that was not finished and it became everyone's store all. Personal items were stored. And we had, uh, we met in the fellowship hall and when you walked in where the seams of the carpet were together, it was, it was so just ripped apart that they took duct tape Another usage of duct tape, guys. They took duct tape, and that's what kept the carpet together. And it was an economically very poor community. It was also a very high drug use community. And I go to this church. I mean, the sign out front was so bad, it was literally peeling off. You couldn't read it. It was a church. It was so bad, one day I was out front, and a man pulls up and says, This is VFW Hall? I'm standing next to the church sign. And the, the parking lot was not paved. There was, you know, from the torrential Florida afternoon rains, it was washed out in spots. And, but, I mean, but this is, God made it so clear, this is where I need to go. And I'm so thankful for that experience because it was there amongst some simple people that I learned and understood what success was really about. It was there that I really authentically learned how to give my whole heart to Christ and to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And it was through a simple group of people. And God placed me in this place of Mulberry, Florida. And one day, because we had uh, drug use around and, and they would make uh, drugs down the street, meth down the street, one day we would keep the doors locked. And one day I'm there and the door knocks. Quick story. I go to the door. And here's this guy. He stinks. He looks bad. His hair's bad. And he says, can you help me? So what you need help with? He said, well, my mama's dying over in Tampa and I don't have any gas money. I need to go see mama before she dies. Can you give me $20 for gas? Now, I've heard mama's dying for, for years. It's the same story. I must have been bored or something that day because I said, well, come on in. And we start calling hospitals in Tampa to find out where mama is. Of course, mama can't be found. And finally, I catch him in a lie after a lie. I said, listen. I said, where do you live? You live down the street? And he said, yeah, and I figured it was probably one of the meth houses. I said, why don't I just give you a ride home? Not advisable, I did it. So we, he said, all right. So we go get my car, and we're driving out of this parking lot when all of a sudden I catch him in the lie again, and I slam on brakes, and I say to him, Bubba was his name. I said, Bubba, quit lying to me. I said, how can I help you as long as you keep lying to me? He goes, I'm not lying. I said, you are lying. He said, I'm not lying. I said, you are lying. He said, I promise you I'm not I, I said, just tell me you need 20 bucks for a hit of crank. He said, I don't. I said, then tell me why you need $20. Because my foot's infected. I said, your foot's infected. He said, I promise you my foot's infected. I went to the doctor. He gave me a prescription. I need $20 to get the prescription. My foot's infected. I said, you're lying so bad. He goes, oh, I promise you, my foot's infected. Here, I'll show you. He starts taking off his shoe in my car. Now, understand how the guy looks. At that point, my mind races. I'm about to spend more than $20 to get my car cleaned. I'll give you $20. Right? And I said, man, just keep your shoe on. Please keep your shoe on. And we go down the road, and we pull up to this house, and it's a meth lab trailer. And I'm sitting out in the driveway... And another guy comes out. He's cool. He's cool. I'm cool to the meth makers, by the way. 
and we sit out there and I share Jesus with him and talk to him. And we wrap up and I'm heading back to the to Turning Point Church on Bailey Road. And as I pull into the parking lot in my, in, with, the, with the washed out deal to go into the duct tape carpet after being with infected foot boy Billy or Bob, uh, Bubba, it turns around being, my phone rings, it's my mom on the other end of the line. She goes, have you talked to your brother? I said, no, what's going on? She said, well, some guy named Randy Lerner, he's a billionaire, he owns MBNA Bank. He owns the Cleveland Browns. He just sent a, a, his private jet to pick your brother up to take him to dinner in Long Island to offer him the Cleveland Browns general manager job. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm sitting there thinking, now I'm clowning around with infected foot boy Bo uh, Bubba. <laughs> and she goes, and Phil's been on a lot of jets. And she goes, he said that this jet, that's just him and the pilot, that he's never seen a jet like this in his life, that the bathroom in the jet's bigger than the bathroom in his house. There's crystal etched glasses and leather seats. He said he's never seen anything like it. To fly to dinner in Long Island. As I pulled in and walked into my duct tape church, I said at that moment, I said, God, when do I get to ride on the jet? Instead, I'm clowning around with infected foot boy Bubba in, in, down at a meth house in Mulberry, Florida. Nobody even knows where I am, including Fred Wolf. No wonder it took him 16 years to ask me to preach. <laughs> and you know what? I went in and that <clears throat> night, a deacon in my church is addicted to ESPN and he called me and he said, Joe, I just saw on ESPN, looks like Phil's going to become the general manager of the Cleveland Browns. He was all over the news. I'm sitting in my duct tape office. I said, yeah. I said, man, let me tell you what happened today. I said, at the same exact time, Jerry, that I'm going to see infected football Bubba, Phil's going to see this Jewish man in, in Long Island on a jet with a bathroom bigger than the bathroom in his house. I said, what's the odds of that? He said, Joe, that's incredible. I said, tell me why it's incredible. He said, think about it. Both of your hearts, both of your desires is to make a difference for God in the world. Don't tell me it's not a coincidence, he told me, that at the same precise moment in time that God would allow Phil to be going and talking to this Jewish billionaire owner so that he could ultimately share Christ with him at the same moment that he sent you to go talk to infected footboy poor meth maker. He said, look how Jesus' blood is for everybody, from the rich to the poor, the educated to the uneducated, to what seemingly is the up to the one that seems down. God loves everybody and he sends his people to every person so that they will know about Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? That God's not a respecter of how much we have or don't have or what we've done or can't do. And that God sends each of us to a specific group of people across this land or a neighbor or a co-worker or a friend or a grocery worker or wherever it may be. God's not impressed by who you minister to. He's impressed by you fulfilling their faith to be faithful to Him in who He calls you to. That's the difference between success and pleasing God. Success is not doing those other things. And I went on and got to minister the NFL later on and do all this stuff. And one day Phil called me and goes, Hey, uh, 
about to go on the jet. You want to go? I said, nah. Listen. This year, in 2011, we need to have a mentality of, I mean, not just in our intellect, but in our heart, that we faith over worldly success. As Christians, we can disguise it better than most anybody in the planet. Well, you choose. Your success this year will come by your faithfulness to God. How much faith? Will you amaze God with your faith? That's where success lies. We don't know what happens this year, right? Some people get cancer. Some people will die. Some people will get broke. Some people will make money. Some people will have a promotion. I mean, some people will have babies. I mean, all this stuff. We don't know what 2011 holds, but we know who holds the future of 2011. And it's when we operate in faith towards Him and say, Lord, you know what? All I want to do is be where you want me to be. Fulfilling the mission in my life through faith, wherever that may be, period. Mark Foley, I I wanted to come back to Mobile. I was looking forward to coming back to Mobile. Mark Foley, the president at UM, we meet. Brian Boyle helped arrange that. Some of you all know Brian. And we meet and he begins to share with me this vision and the vision that he's wanting for the University of Mobile lined up exactly what God had been laying on my heart for six months. But I never dreamed it would be in Mobile. I said, UM doesn't have any money. They ain't going to have the vision to do what I'm talking about doing anyway. Next thing you know, I'm at Bimini Bob's across the bay with Mark Foley and Brian Boyle and Mark Foley's telling me what he's wanting to see happen in our nation, and he will. He's and he. And by the end of lunch, he offers me a job, and we had never met each other. I didn't initially say yes. So Dr. Foley came back to me two more times. He said, "Joe, what is it that you want?" I said, "Dr. Foley, all I want to do is I know I don't want to be involved with Baptist politics and bureaucracy and all this other stuff. I want to be where God's at work. That's all I care about being." I said, bottom line it for me, what is it that you're asking me to do? He said, Joe, I will give you an office and a telephone and a little bit of cash to do it. And you just, he goes, I want to see America be revived. I want to see revival in America. You can come in here and just go do that. And I said, you're going to hire me to go help bring revival to America. He goes, that's what I'm asking you to do. Every day, that's what I get to do. Brother, Ed, what an amazing job I get to do. See my mom and daddy, hang out with them, see my brother. Be back here, see friends. And get to go out every day and try to help bring revival and transformation to America. But listen, here's where we've got to sink in just for a moment. What is faith? Faith is our aim this year. Success will be if we're faithful to God. It's impossible to please God without faith. Now, here's where we're going to, I'm hoping and praying that the Holy Spirit of God will really look into your heart. I learned this yesterday. I knew it in my mind, but yesterday I began, this is new information for me as far as preaching, what I'm about to tell you. Never preached this before. And I looked and I was like, wow, that's interesting. Look at Hebrews 11.6 again. Without faith... 
it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. I want us to look at that for a moment because it's impossible to please God. It doesn't just end there. It says that, that we must believe that He is. That's the first. I want to give you two or three. depends on our time. Levels of faith. And I want you to place yourself where you are this morning. Because where you are determines how much you're pleasing God. More than what position you may hold in the church or what you're doing, how much you give today. Which level of faith are you right now? This is what we're trying to determine. So that you can say, I got to go to another level of faith in 2011 starting today. The first one is what we see the first part of this verse I believe he is. I would call that intellectual faith. It's where most Christians live. It's where most of us probably in this room are living today. It's an intellectual faith. It's a faith that says, I believe in Jesus Christ. You got that? You agree with that, right? I believe that God is. I believe he created the earth. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe he was buried and rose again. I believe in this book. I believe in that Jesus is the word of life. I believe in, in, in that God can do what God wants to do. I believe God's going to take me to heaven. I believe when I die because I have Christ in my life, I, will, I have an eternity uh, place in heaven. Right? You all agree with that, most of you. It's intellectual faith. It is a head knowledge and, yes, a heart that matches up. But it's a beginning point of faith, and it's where most of us reside. It's an intellectual faith. I believe God can do that. I believe that God will do that. It's level one faith. That's where it's very important. Level two faith is where God begins to move and work in people's lives like they've never been operated before. It's where I believe that God is waiting for a church who will have level to faith consistently. I I believe that God is looking for individuals who, yes, will worship Him in spirit and in truth, but will worship Him, spirit and truth is, through faith, because that's the only thing that pleases Him. Here's level two faith. It's what we would call active faith. It's, it's, it's beyond an intellect. It's beyond believing that God is and that God will. It is, I will join him in what he's wanting to do. It's action faith. Look at the second, last part of verse 6. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, what does that have to do with faith? What does being a rewarder of those who seek Him have to do with faith? It's action faith. The first part is intellectual faith. The second part is active faith. And here's where it is. Faith comes by hearing. Let's use a different word instead of comes by. Faith arrives by hearing. Faith starts with hearing. So our faith can't be activated until we have heard from God. To have action. So what I'm saying is this. 
not just intellectual faith, but then to move into active faith, which is point number one, if you want to take a note, is seeking God so I can hear from Him. Seeking God, as it says right there in verse 6. I'm choose, Lord, I believe that you are, and I'm going to seek you with all of my heart. And Lord, I am seeking you because I need to hear from you. Don't, aren't you glad that, that this word is, didn't just speak, that it is still speaking? And the voice of God is still speaking and still active? And as He speaks and as He's active, we must hear what the Spirit says. Seven times we see that Scripture used. He, hear what the Spirit says to the church. So we must hear and discern, here's what God is saying. Faith comes by hearing. Faith arrives by hearing. It is when we hear from God is when our faith becomes active and we move from intellect to action. Is this making sense? Yeah, please don't make me preach it again. You getting it? You're going to see where this goes in just a second, in two minutes. Okay, so you get a word from God. He's telling you, you need to do this. You need to take this job. You don't need to do that. I want you to go here. It's the type of faith that we see throughout the Scripture. Right? Abraham to, 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 to sacrificed Isaac. Going to the promised land, the Israelites. I mean, we see that march around Jericho. It took action. They had to hear from God. Here's where I want you to go. Here's what I want you to do. And then they have to make the choice to step into the place of faith. In other words, it's this, and this is the second part. Once you hear from God, which is where faith begins, it's the only thing that's going to please Him. Then you step, you align your life and what you're doing. You can't hold on to where you were. Instead, you step out into the place where He's leading you. In other words, you cooperate, your, you get your life to cooperate with what God's choosing you to do. Now, this is where real faith begins to become pleasing to Him. So it's moving from a place of, I believe that God can do that, to God has spoken now, and I will align my life to fit this action of God. Let's take this church building fund for Luke, for, for the church. My question to you today is this. Has God said to build a building? If you don't know the answer to that, then you need to get before God to find the answer to that. Seek Him. He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. So you have to seek Him. That's an action by you. It's a step of faith. Lord, I will seek you and you're going to answer me. So has God given you, has, does God want you all to do the building? Or is it Brother Fred's idea or just because you've got to have a building and, or whatever? You see, here's the difference. Here's where most churches are operating. I'm telling you, I'm, I speak in a different church every Sunday just about. And I see it over and over again. For whatever reason, and we don't have time to go into that, the American church mentality right now is it has to make business sense. It has to help us grow. The, it has all of these peripheral things. None of that matters. Who gives a rip? What has God said? Think about it. 
Noah built the ark where he had never reigned. It doesn't make sense. You don't build because there's a need. You build because God said. So the fundamental question today to make it personal for this church, has God said build a building? If God says yes, we, you, I want this church to build a building and it's on Solly Road in Westmobile, then God has spoken, right? Okay, I believe that he said that. I believe he can build a building. I believe that he'll provide the money. That's all intellectual faith. I'm talking about something far different. The difference is you don't think about it. Instead, you begin to align your life and step into the place and cooperate and say, okay, he says to build a building, therefore I must get my life in line with building the building. You see, these kind of things, it's not about building a building. These kind of things are about a relationship with God. It's not about we have a need. There's a whole lot of needs. You'll never meet the needs. It is what has God said. And when God speaks, we align our life into that. Some of you got job issues. One of my best friends, Friday, got laid off from, from integrity. Been with him for over 10 years. What's he to do? Another friend of mine, Friday, all within a few hours. Deacon in his church. Been best of friends with me for 15 years. I know her intimately. I mean, I know her. I know him. I've spent Thanksgiving after Thanksgiving. These are like my brother and sister. She has an internet affair, takes off. Another friend of mine, his wife's had cancer, knew she was probably passed away at some point. She dies Friday, boom, done. All within a few hours. One wife dies, one wife leaves, another one loses his job. Now what are they to do in that mix? You, you see, why the question is, why do bad things happen to good people? Let me tell you. And I don't have, my own personal story is another story for another day. But I went through a, a really, really difficult time. And here's where I ended up being. I learned when you have nothing, but you're laying in a bed at night that's not even your own bed, and you're by yourself, and tears are rolling down your face, and it's dark, and you're lonely, and you've lost everything. There's one thing that's there, Jesus Christ. But sometimes we have to be placed into that place to see God in a new way like we've never seen him before. And then it's there where we even feel like while everything else is gone and you look to God and you wonder if maybe God's even gone. That's a real statement. Has anybody been there? Lord, where are you? Scream out in your car. And you don't know where Jesus Christ is? Though he knows exactly where you are. But he feels like a million miles away. And at that very point in time, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the agony, in the midst of it all, you make a choice to, 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 to believe in him and say, God, I believe in you. I don't know what in the world. I don't know where you are. I don't know what to do. But I believe in you. Is that pleasing to God? You see, when we're on mountaintops, it's difficult. Am I right? To operate in faith. 
that little broke church, poor church I was in in Florida, we literally had to depend on the offering every week to keep the doors open. And every week we would get on our knees before God and say, Lord, you've got to provide for us. Friends of mine started calling me who's got a couple of hundred thousand in the bank, a couple of million in the bank, churches. Man, what are you doing in Mulberry with a broke church? Why are you there? I mean, every week y'all got to depend on, you don't even know if you're going to get paid every week. You know what I would say back to them? I'd say, you know what? The beauty is I'm so much more blessed than you will ever think about being because every week we have to depend on God and look to him in faith and watch him provide where you don't even think about it. You see, bad things are difficult, what we call bad things, and this is, this is a whole different dynamic, I'm telling you. Some of you will get this, some of you will not get it, and that's okay. It's for those who will get it. When you're at the lowest of places or things don't seem to go like you thought, you stepped out with God, you're heading down the road with Him, and, and the bottom falls out, and you still choose to please Him, that's the faith that pleases God. And that's what you're created for is to please Him. So when tough things happen and you don't understand why and you still have faith, that's where God is pleased. If you live life and everything's rosy and you don't have to really depend on God, are you really pleasing God? So sometimes our greatest adversities are the greatest times that we please God. So I ask you this morning, as we wrap up, what is God saying? He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. And I could give you, hey, you need to be in the Word, you need to hang out with people of faith, you need to read stories of faith, all of that. And those are important. But the most important thing you can do for 2011 is he's a rewarder of those who seek him. You've already got the intellectual faith. But will you transition to an action faith? A persevering faith? He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The most important thing that me or you can do this year more than anything else, is seek God. And as we seek Him, He speaks to us and we align our life with Him. We cooperate with Him and we join with Him in whatever He is saying to do. And that is the kind of faith that pleases God. And that's the kind of faith where Jesus says, Wow, look at what she just did. Wow, look at what he just did. Check that out, y'all. I'm sure Jesus says, y'all in heaven. Check that out. That's amazing. So, I close with this question. What are you trusting God for? Do you have intellectual faith? Are you joining with him in action faith? Because I know you want to please him. Where's your faith? What level?